What does it even mean? Your pursuit of gut health is probably taking you down a rabbit hole of misinformation, useless concoctions, and false promises. So this is where this uncensored podcast comes in. The gastroenterologist and his daughter is the first of its kind, bringing a specialist gastroenterologist and his daughter, yours truly, to help you navigate the world of all things gut health from mouth to bum and everything in between. Join me, Sandra McHale, gut health specialist dietitian and founder of Nutrition A to Z, and my father, Wagdi McHale, specialist gastroenterologist and internist, as we unpack the most talked about topics in gut health, covering both the medical and lifestyle aspects of all things gut, with a ton of comedy and fecal tete-a-tete. Right, let's get into it. We are back again with another episode, and we cannot talk about gut health without mentioning the liver. And I probably think a lot of our listeners are asking, why should I even listen to this? So hopefully by the end of today's episode, they'll be thanking us. Dad, do you feel that people neglect the liver? in general, or don't realize that it is a part of our digestive system? Definitely. When you know what the liver is and what the liver does, it will be, you will uh, love to have a good liver. So, <laughs> And uh, funny enough, you know, many people, they don't know what is the liver. Is it left, right, up, down, or where is the liver and what's the liver? The, I'm the actually liver is... just trying to think if I know the answer. <laughs> this is just testing my anatomy. Dad, where is the liver? Where is it located? The liver is the largest solid organ in the body, and it's shaped like a cone, located below the lungs in the right upper abdomen beneath the diaphragm. So it's, it is in the abdomen, okay? Is it on top of the stomach? It's the top of the stomach, right kidney and intestine. Okay. It weighs about 1.3 kg. And you know the upper border surface anatomy of the liver when I ask some students or something, they don't realize that it's too big. It is extends from the right nipple down and goes to the left nipple and the lower border across this, across down, passing the sternum, which is the uh, lower end of the esophagus. It's uh, what we call it, this cartilage there. So it is big liver and it is a factory of the body. And it consists of about four lobes, but we'll talk about the main two lobes of the liver, right and left. And when you listen to the coming description, it looks like an underground network because the both the lobes consist of eight segments. And then the eight segments contain about 1,000 small lobes, which we call it lobules. And these lobules are connected to small tubes. We call it ducts. And that connected to larger ducts from the common hepatic well, That's called the common hepatic duct. Okay. Uh, so, and this common hepatic duct transports the bile. We'll talk about this in yeah. coming. And made this meant by the liver. It will go to the gallbladder, and the gallbladder, when you eat, give the bile to the second part of the duodenum, which is this starch of the small intestine, to start digestion, the fat, together with the pancreatic juice coming from the pancreas. So it is a 24 hour seven work. And the liver works when you sleep, when you walk, when you do anything, it's working and it's hard work. So you have to keep it healthy. And as a gastroenterologist, a lot of people assume that people just come and see you for gut conditions, but I assume they also see you for liver issues as well, correct? Definitely, yeah. And that also relates to what are the most important functions of the liver? As we said before, it is a huge factory. It performs over about 500 vital functions. We take them one by one. For example, the 
Albumin production. You know the albumin? What's the albumin? It's a protein. Yeah. This keeps the fluids in the bloodstream from leaking into the surrounding tissue and it carries the hormone, vitamins, enzymes through the body. So when we see people with advanced liver disease and the albumin is low because the liver cannot produce albumin, you can see this, we call them lower limb edema, which is swelling of the lower limbs because of yeah. the low albumin. Yeah, I've seen that when I was working in hospital. Yeah, too. it's yeah. very well known. So, And another function related to the albumin is the regulates the amino acids. The production of proteins depend on amino acids. Yeah. So the liver makes sure the amino acid level in the bloodstream remain healthy. So it's too connected. And another function which is connected to the bile, which we told, we said before, the bile production. Exactly. Yeah, the bile is a fluid, is critical for the digestion absorption of fat in the small intestine and it produced by the liver cells, as we said before. Okay, the function I'm talking about, the, it filters the blood. What does it mean? All the blood leaving the stomach and the intestine, it will pass through the liver. Yes. Which remove the toxins and other harmful substances. And this is what we talk, what we mean by detoxification, that your body has its own detoxification system and you do not need any fancy external detox to do so. Detox, yeah. Everybody say about detox, detox. Exactly. Detox, detox, detox. I don't know what the detox is. Yet, but, uh, <laughs> detoxing everything now. Okay. The other function, which is blood clotting, you know, when anybody injured himself or herself and you see the blood, after some time you see the blood clots by itself. This is done by liver because the clotting coagulants are created using the vitamin K, which is mm-hmm. absorbed by the bile, help of the bile. Okay? So, which is the fluid we said before, it's produced by the liver. Another function which is important as well is the resist infection. As a part of filtering the process, the liver removes the bacteria from the bloodstream. So it's resisting the infection. Another function is the storage function of the liver. It stores the significant amount of vitamins, which we call it fat-soluble vitamins, which are A, D, E, K, and vitamin B12, as well as iron and copper as well. And this is why I think it's very important not to over-supplement. And we can talk about that as well in terms of these multivitamins that you can't actually have too much of a good thing. And it's always, I mean, I always suggest that people should always get tested to adjust their supplementation dosage and actually if they need it, because a lot of these nutrients go through your liver and are stored in the liver as well. Yeah, especially the fat-soluble vitamins. It's not yeah. like the water-soluble vitamins can be excreted by, excreted the, by the body. Yeah. Yeah. The crucial function as well of the liver is the sugar. It processes the glucose. You know, the liver remove the excess glucose, the sugar from the bloodstream and store it as glycogen. And when we need the glucose, when we need sugar, the liver converts the glycogen back into the glucose. It can use it for uh, functions of the body. This is the main functions of the liver. So uh, what's your comment? (laughs) I am simply reiterating the importance of liver function from a nutritional perspective. And just like you said, I mean, it's a factory. It is the body's powerhouse because of all these incredible functions. And if we had to look at it in the realm of digestive health, I would combine them into three main functions. So just like you said, the nutrient metabolism. So we call the liver like the metabolic hub. It processes the nutrients we consume. It regulates their distribution and even stores them for future use, just like you said with the vitamins. 
So without the liver, our bodies would not be able to extract and use these essential vitamins and minerals found in the foods that we eat. So nutrient metabolism is crucial. The second function that we just mentioned is detoxification. There's just so much hype and misinformation around this whole concept of detoxification when in fact our liver, I mean, our bodies are fully equipped with its own detoxification system, which is your liver, the skin, your lungs. This is our own detoxification system and the liver is your detox center. So it filters and eliminates all these harmful substances that you mentioned, like toxins and drugs and even alcohol. And I always like to, you know, when it comes to this concept of detoxification, I always say, look, you need to eat to support your detoxification process. There's no miracle food that's going to detox your body per se, but it's just a matter of ensuring that you are actually in eating and consuming the nutrients that are important for liver health. And then the third important function that you mentioned is bile production. So bile is produced by the liver, just like you said, and it is crucial for digesting fats, for breaking down fats. So the liver provides the raw materials for bile, which is then stored in the gallbladder and then released into the small intestine to break down the fats, or we call them emulsify them, making them more accessible for digestion by enzymes. So this is a quick summary of, let's say, the three main functions of the liver in relation to digestive health. Now, Dad, are you, I'm sure within this uh, world of liver health, how much do you know about, let's say, if we had to talk about the gut-liver connection? Is this something that comes up? Yes, I can <laughs> talk about it. But <laughs> <laughs> So I think, again, just, just because, just like you said, you know, we all, we're always uncovering these interesting connections like the gut-brain axis, the gut-hormone axis. And I always say there's also a gut-liver axis or a gut-liver connection. Definitely. And if you want to talk about it, you can go ahead. But before you do, I want to tell you all this, the function of the liver, you said it is, we don't need anything. But this all good function to be provided that we have a good liver. <laughs> we have a good factory. And make the liver healthy when we'll talk about this later. Yeah. Yeah. And this is where lifestyle measures come in too. So like yeah. the new specific nutrients, specific lifestyle habits either are going to promote liver health or or push you towards liver ill health or the develop or increase your risk of developing liver conditions. But I think the reason why I wanted to mention this gut-liver connection, I think also it looks at this whole concept of how does liver, you mentioned from an immunity perspective, right? So you mentioned that it can resist infections. And I think this is also a good explanation of this gut-liver connection. So... The liver communicates with the gut through the release, as we said, of bile acids, but also through the release of these antimicrobial compounds called immunoglobulins. And by doing that, it fosters, you can call it like a harmonious balance within the gut microbiome or these gut microbes that reside within our gut and our immune system. So this intricate relationship safeguards against the overgrowth of harmful microbes and preserves the integrity of our gut lining or the gut barrier. Now, at the same time, simultaneously, the gut reciprocates by supplying the liver with essential nutrients and microbial byproducts. So basically the byproducts of your microbes digesting things like fiber, regulating your blood sugar levels and helping you digest fats and even recycling bile acids for optimal liver function. So it is this two-way street. It's not just a one-way communication. Oh, it's a bi-directional communication. So the, also, the liver relies on the gut for about 75% of its blood supply delivered through something called the portal vein directly from the intestines. 
this very important connection between the liver and gut. So if we, I mean, because of all these important connections, so when things start to go wrong, and if I had to ask you, what are the most prevalent liver conditions that you see? I know we can go into some in, in great detail, and maybe I'm going to highlight a few as we go. But in your practice, what would you, how would you classify them? I think we go to by classifications, they go one by one. And sometimes we have to talk about one of them in details, maybe in separate episodes or something. For example, like fatty liver, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. This is the new trend now. It's huge studies are going on. So if we go now one by one, I'll start with the alcoholic related liver disease. You know, the alcoholic liver disease. When it is early, you don't have any symptoms and the people drink and drink. So we, if we make them as stages, it will be for stage one, the alcoholic fatty liver disease. The, due to alcohol, the liver will accumulate fat. So, and no symptoms at this stage. And, but it is important warning sign that we are drinking harmful level. So the fatty liver disease is reversible at that time. So it's better to stop at that time. It is reversible or irreversible? Reversible, because there is no inflammation. Only when we do liver biopsy in the alcoholic liver disease, you can see, can see abundant fat cells, but the liver cells are okay. They are not inflamed. And by the way, from this aspect, I just tell you what's your recommended alcohol limits for men and women during week. But because it is very important when how much I drink. If you don't drink, it's better not to. But if you drink, you drink to uh, enjoy, but not to harm your liver. Well, you were very generous with your recommendations. I know we spoke about that in the first season, but I'm very strict with my clients because I do see, okay, mainly I do see people not with alcoholic related liver disease. I see people with the non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, which we'll talk about in a second. But regardless, I do give my clients an allowance of four drinks per week. I know I'm very restrictive, but um, they do thank me later. But it's, I mean, look, it's inevitable that at some point you're definitely going to exceed that. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what's, what I have here, because if you restrict them, sometimes if you stop, they will go over limits. For wine, you have to have seven glasses of wine and the strength 11.5. And we're oh. talking about a standard glass of wine, which yes. is around 120, so around 110 or 100, I mean, 125 mils, 175 basically. ML. That's an Italian glass of wine. Yeah. <laughs> I'm talking. <laughs> These guidelines need to change. They need to reevaluate their portions. And, you know, and, and in Zurich, when we were walking <laughs> last summer, when I was walking, there was one, one lady, not shouting, the discussing with the waiter about the, give her the glass of wine is just about 100 ml. Or yes, <laughs> yes. It is 100 mils here. The, the standard drink is 100 mils. It was very upset. She's good about <laughs> Okay, and for the uh, for the whiskey and the hard drink, the spirits is forty percent strength and fourteen single shots. So it is. This is the general idea about what to drink for a week. Right. But that and is that's... not in combination. So you cannot have six pints of beer plus seven glasses of wine plus fourteen. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, All right, so. but Jed, I would say for our listeners, if you want to look after your overall health and the health of your liver, as well as your skin, and because of you know longevity as well as a very big topic, stick to my recommendations, which are four standard drinks per week. All right, continue, Dad. All right. <laughs> so we, we said the first stage is the alcoholic fatty liver. 
The second stage, when it progresses, it causes hepatitis. Hepatitis means inflammation of the liver cell, okay? And this is potentially as a serious condition, and because over a period, it will change to something bad, which we'll call it cirrhosis. So severe alcoholic hepatitis, the hepatitis inflammation, is a serious and sometimes life-threatening, okay? This is the second stage. And this as well, sometimes, if it is not too much, it is reversible if it stops completely. But if we go to the third stage, stage, which, which is, is cirrhosis. Okay. So that's when it's not reversible. Yeah. The liver becomes scarred. And even at this stage, not be obvious symptoms as well, but this, when it goes advanced, they will talk about the symptoms later on. But this is generally is not reversible. However, if you stop alcohol on this stage, you can prevent further damage. You can prevent the complication. So it is better to stop alcohol at any stage. I have a quick question. What is the youngest patient you've had with alcohol-related liver disease, if you can think off the top of your head? Just age. I think it's 18, as far as I remember. 18. I think he's uh, not in our country. I mean, and this is, I I think I am going to put a, perhaps in the show notes of some alcohol support groups and and what to do as well, because it is, I mean, alcohol addiction is a very, very serious problem. But I think what we need to highlight is there is support out there and you can get over this addiction. And I have seen that with some previous clients as well. Yeah, but be sure that you have to be convinced that this, you cannot do it by your own. If you are serious about it, you have to have help. You have to have psychiatrists, you have to have psychologists, you have to have a gastroenterologist, you have to have dietitian. All of them will help. Yeah. Uh, I mean, again, yeah, back in Australia, I remember one of my friends used to work in an addiction clinic as well as a dietitian because people wouldn't think, you know, why would dietitians be involved? But yeah, so that was just a side note that there is support out there and it is not, you cannot do this alone. You definitely need the help. And it's not a sign of weakness to seek help. Okay, so that is the alcohol-related liver disease. What's the next big one, Dad, that you see very often? The non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. It is really, this is the topic of the day. And hundreds and hundreds of studies and trials are going on to find solution for this. Because if you have a look at the map of uh, obesity in the States about 20 years ago, and now it is really, really very serious, important matter. And now one of the causes of maybe third or fourth cause of liver transplant is non-alcoholic liver disease. And I think in a, in a nutshell, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease is actually considered a condition of energy imbalance. So I, I'm not going to talk about BMI and so on, because again, I, I do feel like the more conversations need to take place around this whole concept of BMI. But if you know, I do see it now in my clients who have have very, very high body fat percentages, but it's not just total body fat, it's a visceral fat. So it's that fat around your organs. So it is a condition, I'm not going to say it's a lifestyle condition, but it is a condition that we are seeing that is related to energy balance. So you are overly consuming the amount of energy that your body needs and it gets converted into fat and then stored into your liver. That's an, I would say this is, this is a very simplified definition of it. Especially sugar as well. And nowadays they are changing the names of it was Nuffeldy before non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. The new name is Muscle Day, which is describing a little bit better. It's 
metabolic dysfunction associated steatosis liver disease. Yeah, and this That's is a mouthful. <laughs> which is due to the fat. So this is the term which is now the new and maybe it will be the name later on. And we go on as well with the stages of this fat liver disease because it is important to know where are you. The first stage which is the simple fatty liver, we call it steatosis. Tattoo, this means fat in the liver. It's largely harmless if most of the people, if they're overweight or diabetic or something, eating low sugar, they have, when you do ultrasound in fatty liver, sometimes the liver function tests are normal, sometimes they are a little bit high. And this is point which is a warning sign just to have stop and do a U-turn for lifestyle modification. The second stage is the same as non-alcoholic steatohepatitis. And this non-alcoholic, not due to alcohol. Steato means fat. Hepatitis means inflammation of the liver cells. So it is inflammation of the liver cells due to fat. It, we call it before NASH. And now they are changing the name to MASH, which means metabolic dysfunction as well, associated with yeah. steatosis hepatitis. So it's more descriptive. And maybe these names will be gone later on will be the actual name for this Nuffield D and Nash. In this stage as well, you have, you can reverse it if you go on very lifestyle modification and do the best you can to reverse this condition. With the support of a dietitian, can I please note that? Course. Yes, because I, I was going to, this is where I see my client. So I definitely do, and this is something that myself and the gastroenterologist that we work with is that you are at a point where it is reversible. And we do see that we do see positive changes after six months of tweaking your habits, tweaking your lifestyle and tweaking your nutrition as well. Because till now, they are doing a lot of studies to get specific drug for this. We couldn't find any there is a lot of pathogenesis and we know how to how this happens. And they are doing drugs according to the theology of the every step in the fatty liver, but still we didn't reach a specific drug. Okay, the third stage is fibrosis. When the inflammation goes on and on, the liver will be scarred, but in the liver cells and the vessels around the, the liver cells as well. But the liver is still able to function normally. So the fibrosis is one step before the cirrhosis. You, have, you can try your best to listen and not to get to cirrhosis. Because the fourth stage is cirrhosis, which is as well severe, severe liver disease, and it is irreversible. And we said cirrhosis for due to any cause, it is irreversible. And the only treatment so far is the liver transplant. So we don't want to get to this stage. I think what I wanted to add when it comes to whether NASH, you want to call it, or NAFLD, is when we see our clients that present to us with non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, our first goal is to make sure that we're working towards a body composition that helps us reverse it. So we're really targeting body fat loss here. So I don't want people to get obsessive about their weight. So this is where I would say BMI goes out the window. We're very much interested in their body composition. And yes, a lot of it might mean, you know, looking at what the biggest concerns are. Is there, you know, is there an imbalance in the nutrient composition of their meals? Are they consuming too much carbohydrates for the amount of activity that they're doing? We also look at the different types of fat in their food as well. So looking at the amounts of animal fats, let's say saturated fats versus the anti-inflammatory fats, which are your fats from, let's say, things like 
your plants, as well as your marine sources from uh, that provide you with omega-3 fats as well. And then in addition to that, we just need to make sure that we're looking at all these crucial nutrients to support liver function. So it's not a straightforward because a lot, I mean, one of the questions that we get is what, what should I eat to reverse non-alcoholic fatty liver disease? And it's never a straightforward answer purely because it's more complicated, especially if we're looking at energy imbalance. Again, if we're looking at a weight issue, I'm interested in the psychology around eating. I'm interested to understand why people eat the way they eat. We need to address stress eating or emotional eating. We need to address mindless eating, autopilot eating. Some of my clients have even presented with specific eating disorders that say as, you know, binge eating disorder has come up in the past when they did present with non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. So this is where I say, you know, it's not just a matter of cutting down calories, lose weight. This is just, you know, anyone can lose the weight. It's how do you keep it off? And this is where I always remind everyone, it is hard work to actually understand how to eat towards a body composition that works for you, but also understanding the psychology of why you eat the way you eat and just getting, you know, being equipped with all the nutrition information to be confident and understanding, right, how much carbohydrates should I be eating? What sort of training should I be doing? What types of fat and how much should I be eating? You know, without having to constant thinking of restriction, that I have to be on a restrictive diet to reverse my my liver condition. Dad, are you still there? Yes, I'm I'm listening. I thought I lost you. Okay, so moving that that is my my little, you know, TEDx talk. Um moving on to another let's say liver condition. Maybe you can just offer us a, a quick summary and maybe we don't have to go into great detail, but how about hepatitis? This hepatitis we'll talk about just viral hepatitis when then Hepatitis, non-viral hepatitis, later on. You know, some people, they don't know when the hepatitis A, B, and C, and D, and E. Some people, they don't know that it is different viruses. They Sometimes the one told me that if I'm having hepatitis B, so if it progresses, so I'll have hepatitis C, which is more bad. I don't even know. There's different viruses, so and different attitude, and different behavior of each virus. So if we get hepatitis A, which is caused by the virus A, this is usually transferred due consuming food and drink, contaminated with the poor or infected person in most common in countries where the sanitation is poor. Can you cure hepatitis A? Yeah, hepatitis A, it's usual. Most of the people, they get rid of it because there is no specific treatment for the viral hepatitis B, only supportive breast and fluids. And uh, so there's no specific antiviral that you can take for hepatitis not, not A. for hepatitis A. So it is usually most of the people, they get rid of it in, and they, all blood and liver function and everything come back to normal. But sometimes, in rare cases, it can be very serious and it can be going to uh, hepatic failure or something. But most people, they get rid of it spontaneously. And there is no treatment, but there is vaccination against hepatitis A. We don't take it as a routine, but usually it is recommended if you are risk at risk of infection or consequences of infection as well. If you are traveling to an area where the virus is common, such as India, subcontinent, Africa, Central and South America, and Far East and Eastern Europe. If you are going to this area or how risk, you have to take the uh, hepatitis A vaccination. And 
you have to choose where to eat and be careful if you have good hygiene and good food. You have to be very careful. And each virus has got Sometimes if, if you're not vaccinated, you can be cured. It's other way around that we can see after this. The next next virus is hepatitis B. This hepatitis B virus is in, due to spread by the blood or from pregnant women to their babies or due to sexual contact. So it's mainly body fluids. As a trans, I was gonna, so it's only transmitted by bodily fluids. Yeah, body fluids and blood. So we have okay. to be very careful about this. Even sometimes the, uh, maybe hepatitis B and C by tattoo or something, we can talk about it in, in hepatitis D. Yeah. So the body is very good and in fighting these viruses. Maybe 90% of infected adults with hepatitis B, they can get rid of it and they do antibodies for hepatitis B and they get cured and they get resistance to the virus later on. But about 5%, they can go on and take all the complications. And you can also get vaccinated for hepatitis B, correct? Because it's also part of... That's the beauty of it. It is preventable. Okay. So vaccination of hepatitis B is a part of routine immunization in many countries and in children. And it is should be done worldwide. Even sometimes in Europe now they apply it, but not all Europe. Routinely. Yeah. yeah, as a routine. But I think with this traveling and everybody's coming here and there and migration from here to here, I think it's better to make hepatitis B vaccination as a routine in every country, hopefully, instead of spending the money for the war. <laughs> Okay, so we come to the third one, the hepatitis C. Hepatitis C, it is as well spread through the blood-to-blood contact with the infected person. It causes, you know, it has no symptoms to start with. That's the problem. If if you've got acute hepatitis, B or C or D or A, it is okay. But for chronic hepatitis C or B, they don't have symptoms. Then how do you pick it up? How, how do you, by, how do you? By chance, by, and by, check, yeah, by checking people, which is high risk. We used to give treatment, a horrible treatment with injections and with side effects. But for the last decade, we discovered the magnificent drug tablet, oral which can get rid of the hepatitis C, which is curable. It's curable okay. with, for three months only with one pill a day. And the, in Egypt, they succeeded to have this program done and almost very few hepatitis C around in Egypt. And in the world, there's one. It's coming, almost going to go away, but we have to carry on testing people on high risk. So what are the last types of hepatitis that we should be aware of after C? This another viral hepatitis, which is hepatitis D. This is usually or always it needs hepatitis B to survive. And the hepatitis E, which is foodborne as well, it is sometimes comes endemic, usually mild, but we have uh, to be careful about diet and hygiene. This is the main viral hepatitis. The other group of hepatitis is drug-induced liver injury or liver disease. So the injury of the liver, a lot of medicine can injure the liver cells. and can So it would be a side effect of some of the medications. Definitely. Even not side effect, even sometimes they can cause liver damage even with small doses. So you have to be very careful for over-the-counter drugs, herbal medicine, even some prescribed drugs 
can damage the liver. So we have to be careful of this. There is a long list of the drugs which we use can harm the liver. Anabolic steroid, contraceptive, some antibiotic like erythromycin, augmentin, tetracycline, and antiseizures, some of antifungal. All of this can damage the liver. So we have to be very careful with the drug. Speaking of herbal supplements, there was a lot of headlines in the news back in the day with green tea extracts causing liver damage if they did take it in supplement form. So this is what you mean by drug induced. So it's not just medication. So even herbal medicines, herbal, you know, those based on herbals like green tea extracts, for example, because they're in very, very high dosages can cause liver problems. All right. So how, I mean, you mentioned that some of these conditions, people may not experience symptoms and they would get picked up in, let's say, routine checkups. Are there specific symptoms we need to be looking out for when it comes to the, you know, when it comes to liver health? The chronic liver disease most time has no symptoms to be known as no specific symptoms. But some of the early symptoms, people can generally feeling unwell, tired, a loss of appetite, loss of weight and muscle wasting, a feeling sick. Sometimes vomit, sometimes nausea, sometimes tenderness uh, over the liver area. All of these, the vague symptoms which can happen with any other illness, viral problem or any non-specific illness. Later on, when the liver is struggling to function and the state is giving him some load on the liver and he's struggling, but he cannot do his, his job properly. So we can have some itching all over the body due to the bile, which is go to the skin and then you have itching all over the body. Jaundice, which is the yellow discoloration of the eyes and skin. White nails, one of the signs. Some People get clubbing of the fingers, which is tip of the fingers is drug drumstick. Okay, hair loss. So they come wider. Yeah. yeah. Hair loss, it's an important sign as well. Swelling of the legs, as we mentioned before, due to low albumin. Abdomen is swelling, which cause we call it ascites. There is water, acidic fluid in the abdomen. The urine is dark due to secretion of bile. The stool sometimes black, 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 not brown. So tar-like stools. Tar yeah. stool, which means that there is bleeding from the maybe voracious or something. This is very important. If your stool are black, you have to head to hospital straight away. And because of the bleeding problems, so you have the loss of vitamin or no vitamin K and the clotting factors manufactured by the liver is deficient. So we have easy bruising yeah. and we have bleeding gums, bleeding nose, frequent muscle cramps as well. Gosh, that's a long list of symptoms. I mean, that also just tells you how crucial the liver is, that yeah. it literally influences each and every single system in our body. Definitely. Do you get, so my question is because this is such a long list of symptoms. Sure. I mean, do people, uh, I don't know how to put it, do patients not realize that something is wrong early on, that things really do progress so fast that it becomes extreme in terms of the symptom severity. And then they, that's when they actually seek help. Before that, is sometimes it's difficult if all these symptoms is for advanced liver disease. So we have, if you have, for example, because sometimes the people comes with the, just for checkup, and we found the abnormal liver function, abnormal enzyme. At this stage, you have to go all through the, to know what's the cause of this. Is it fatty liver? It's uh, viral hepatitis? Is autoimmune hepatitis? Uh, it's drug induced. You have to take history for this. All of this you have to work out for abnormal liver function. So it is very important to have diagnosis 
if patient not, has mild symptom, even if he comes with general malaise and uh, and you are a gastroenterologist, he came to you. So you have to think of the liver. I mean, this is what a lot of the doctors do here anyway. So generally, even just for a general checkup, a lot will hopefully now. Let's see how things go with all the insurance changes, because I think right now people are paying so much for insurance and insurance is refusing to pay for certain testing in terms of even like regularity. But anyway, generally speaking, a lot of the doctors that we work with do test for liver function tests. So I get to see that in terms of the results that they're doing. So my recommendation would be if anyone, if they've never had their liver function test done, just get it done if you have a good relationship with your doctor. And preferably, I mean, hopefully you don't have to pay out of pocket just to see what the health of your liver is. And if you're able to afford to pay out of pocket, then I would definitely get your liver function tested just to see how healthy your liver is. So, I mean, just because I I know some of, well, I hope that this long list of serious symptoms doesn't scare people and sort of depress our listeners. My question to you is that, can you prevent liver disease? Can you prevent our liver from deteriorating so fast? Just before preventing the liver disease as well, we have to catch it early. So we have to do liver function and liver assessment in people with high risk, like people who drink alcohol, obesity to diabetes, in people having tattoos and piercing or injecting drugs or sharing needles, or people has got blood transfusion before 1992 because of the hepatitis C, uh, unprotected sex, exposure to certain chemicals and toxins, family history of liver disease. For all these people to prevent liver problem, we have to check their liver. Okay. And if, okay, so, and then to prevent liver disease, in your opinion, from let's say, if you had to pick the top, you probably have a long list, but if you had to pick the top three most important preventative measures for liver health, what would you choose if there are only three things people should do? From uh, eight or ten, I think I'm <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I knew you were going to have a long list, but I just want you to pick three things people should be mindful of if they do want to look after their liver. Okay. Number one, drink alcohol in moderation, or if you don't drink, don't drink. Don't start. Okay. Vaccination is very important. So that will be vac- you know, vaccinated against the, the hepatitis A and B that you mentioned and B and B, yeah. If you are uh, at risk. Yep. And another one which is maintain healthy life. I think you will like this. Yeah, that's good. I was going to say, I hope you didn't say maintain a healthy weight because that's very vague. And that's something that a lot of doctors do mention and it really infuriates me. But so you said alcohol, vaccinations and maintaining a healthy life. So these would be your your three. I think, I mean, if we had to look at the nutritional side of things when it comes to liver health, because I know that tends to be one of the biggest questions, but even if we had to look at, let's say, recapping all the science, one specific dietary pattern that comes up most of the time is having a Mediterranean style diet. I'm sure you agree. I don't know if you agree or not. Yes. Um, I mean, again, when you have to look at dietary patterns, I always say, especially when you're eating for liver health or hormone health or even gut health, at the end of the day, you'll notice that it is, you know, the guidelines are quite repetitive. It's, it's, it's what, you know, what is a, what is a good diet? It is a diet that's predominantly plant-based that doesn't have a large amount of ultra-processed foods in them and being as active as possible. And if you had to look at specific nutrients when it comes to, you know, again, going back to liver health is you need to look at 
specific nutrients that tend to be deficient or we pick up deficiencies when people do experience chronic liver issues. So that even just gives us a little nudge that, hold on, we need to be quite mindful of these nutrients. So apart from having a Mediterranean-style diet, so again, predominantly plants, lots of beans, lentils, and chickpeas, so legumes, healthy fats. So if you do consume animal fats, I would say try to focus on your marine sources, things like your salmon, your mackerel, your sardines, trout. These tend to be quite high in omega-3 fats. And then a ton of color from your fruits and vegetables. Cutting down on animal fats. Again, it's not a complete elimination. But if we had to look at things like specific nutrients, I'm looking at vitamin E, vitamin D, vitamin C, and your B vitamins. Now, if we had to look at vitamin E, we know that vitamin E is an antioxidant. So it does protect cell membranes from oxidation and destruction. And we do see that vitamin E deficiency is very common in some liver disorders. So even some studies suggest that vitamin E supplementation can improve liver function. However, you have to be very careful with the doses. So because high doses can have adverse effects, especially in smokers. So this is where I would say, even when it comes to these nutrients that are known to be antioxidants, you have to be very careful with how much you are taking. So vitamin E in terms of natural sources, is just a matter of including a nice mix of nuts, seeds, and plant oils like extra virgin olive oil. The next nutrient is vitamin D. We do know that chronic liver conditions can often lead to vitamin D deficiency. And I always say, you know, vitamin D is apart from liver health. It is really, really crucial for immune health as well and for bone health. So vitamin D perhaps is one thing that I would say get tested if you haven't been tested before because vitamin D deficiency is very, very common. It's more common than we think. Now, from a food perspective, we don't, we cannot get actually much vitamin D from food, maybe little amounts from mushrooms and things like fish with their bones from the canned, canned fish. They do contain little bits of vitamin D, but you do get it from the sun. So about 15 minutes of sun exposure. But again, you need to test your vitamin D levels just to make sure that, hold on, do I need to supplement and how much do I need to supplement? And then when we talk about things like vitamin C and vitamin B, we do not, again, vitamin C is an antioxidant. It is a water-soluble vitamin dad, like you mentioned. So we do excrete excess if your body don't need it. But again, rather than relying on supplementation, food sources are things like your citrus fruit, but also things like your broccoli, your spinach, peppers, or capsicum. They are good sources of vitamin C. And then finally, your B vitamins. So, I mean, most of them are actually, we. I, I always talk about B vitamins for, for energy, for mental health, but also for liver health. So what we've seen and what the studies have shown is that alcohol-related Liver conditions can lead to deficiencies in vitamins B1, B3, B6, B9, and B12. And actually, sometimes supplementation of these vitamins is essential to prevent complications or further complications. B vitamins, if I had to pick, you know, the best sources of B vitamins, I would say mushrooms tend to contain three different sources of B vitamins. Uh, your green leafy vegetables like your kale and your spinach, as well as your beans, lentils, and chickpeas and sunflower seeds as well. So again, when we're thinking about, you know, forget this whole concept of detoxification, focus on nourishing your body to make sure you're getting all these nutrients and vitamins for liver health. And again, I can talk about, you know, a whole separate episode, but when I talk about this gut-liver connection and what we know supports good gut health is making sure you are eating a diverse range of different fibers. 
So that is uh, my part of, of nutrition and liver health. Is there anything else, Dad, you'd like to add? Or did I lose you already? <laughs> you've been quiet. Are you even though you're you here? Done, <laughs> you have done the job properly now from the nutrition <laughs> point of view. I think mom is calling me now. All right. <laughs> okay, they have to go. No, but again, I wanted to kind of thank our listeners once again for making it this far, but also this perhaps serves a little reminder that, you know, when, when you're eating for gut health, it's also, you know, you're eating for heart health, you're eating for, for liver health, for brain health. So my message is do not treat your body as like separate compartments. Your body is one whole functioning unit at the end of the day. That's good. And the, the liver is the main factory of the body. So just keep it clean and keep it healthy. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Gastroenterologist and His Daughter podcast. Don't forget to join us again. And if you've been enjoying our chats, make sure you subscribe, follow, or leave a review on your chosen platform.